Hello there, thanks for tuning in. This is, uh, uh, feels new, it's not new, it's a returning show, the NTT20 betting show after, well, the same amount of hiatus as actual football had. Uh, we are back and we are Ali Maxwell and on the line with me, George Ehrlich. This is exciting, isn't it? It's very exciting. It really, really is. It's an unusual prospect, punting-wise, isn't it? Uh, BCD football, as they're calling it, behind closed doors. See, I've had quite a weird start to punting post-corona wave one, let's say, um, where I backed, my first football bet back was backing nil-nil in Aston Villa against Sheffield United, which um, was a winner despite the fact the ball went in the goal. Um, so that was a good start. And then as I, was te- as I texted you last night, I had I backed under one and a half in both the League Two playoff games and had a double at about seven to one. So I've also backed Cheltenham to win the playoffs. So that um, that late Cheltenham goal to make it 2-0 was in some ways good because it kind of <laughs> puts one, one Cheltenham foot at Wembley, but it also meant that watching the game from 1-0 to 2-0 was fairly miserable, and then right at the death. At least it wasn't an, uh, a cobbler's goal, I guess. But right at the death, I was I was gubbed. Yeah, I was uh, I was gutted for you. I, it was more or less a watching brief for me last night, or rather a, a live tweeting brief. Look, um, what did you think of of the games, um, both from a perspective of the League Two playoffs, but also, I suppose, I know you're always thinking punting wise. Um, there's there's so much noise before we started about what various things would mean and how games would look, and you're certainly in the game that you covered, that first game, it definitely took them a while to get going. I think. Yeah, it did. Um, I, I think in the, in the first game, especially, there was definitely, um, as I kind of as I tweeted, there was a willingness not to concede first. I think that was key to it, and any chances that seemed to present themselves, <clears throat> and there were very few, were either basically pot shots or from, directly from set pieces. Um, you know, Colchester were, were very keen to use their long throw. I think launching uh, along, but I mean, both in both games we saw, as you as you pointed out, the trebuchet long throws. <laughs> Um, which seemed to be key. I mean, it's just, as I say, it's trying to find situations where scoring goals um, is possible, but without, you know, without, without relaxing things at the back. Both games saw loads of corners. I don't know if that's a coincidence or if that's, again, teams trying to create situations where they can get the ball in the box while still keeping three or four men back. Um, I mean, the game I watched, I didn't think was great, uh, to be to be perfectly honest with you. There are a couple of decent performances from Colchester players, Exeter largely, um, yeah, I'd say the one, the one positive I would say from Col- Colchester, and maybe this is significant given they held both Tottenham and um, Crystal Palace very well defensively, is they were very, very solid when they got into their defensive shape, which isn't necessarily something we associate this McGreal-Colchester side with. There were spells of the game, which you'd probably say were Exeter's best spells, where they just kind of had the ball around the halfway line and were knocking it between each other. Um, and Colchester were happy to sit in, not really press them, let them have the ball, wait for Aaron Martin to try and play a 35-yard diag, which would inevitably go out of play and then start again. So um, I would say, from my point of view, the, the two best sides on the day won, um, but the best performance was quite clearly from um, Cheltenham keeper. Yeah. Um, 
Owen Evans was magnificent. Owen Evans, unknown from Wigan, who, who, yeah, who changed the whole tie. I think there's an argument that the second best performance of the day was from Northampton, even though they lost 2-0. It certainly felt like, and definitely the reaction online was, that the second game was way better than the first, way more entertaining. Now, because there's so many different variables at the moment, it's hard to know exactly what to put that down to. I did wonder whether being a slightly more direct side, being the sort of side that looks to deliver it into the opposition's area uh, as quickly as possible, basically without passing go and without collecting £200, might might be more suited. Because, I mean, the Colchester game and Exeter, the touches were off. They, neither team could really string three passes together, certainly not if they were trying to move forward with the ball. Um, the, you know, attacking intent was when it was there and it wasn't always there, but when it was there, it wasn't really matched with execution. And of course, you know, we're talking about a fourth tier game. So you'd expect there to be a, um, a drop in quality uh, to, to the very top level, even to the championship level. But that's something, something that I want to watch because, you know, even Northampton, um, even though they lost 2-0, their game is, is very direct, as we saw. And they did get themselves into tons of dangerous positions just because they were so direct and they then they were getting into Cheltenham's box at will now the problem was Cheltenham's defense is magnificent they you know I, I mentioned it on the Monday pod they had to be on it immediately and they were um, the amount of blocks last ditch headers um, you know aerial battles won it was very impressive what became quite clear at the end of the game for me was that while I think Northampton are good at what they do and effective at what they do Cheltenham can do that as well. Like, you know, they both played 3-5-2. Mm. Mm. Um, Northampton slightly more direct. Uh, and it's, it almost felt like Cheltenham can do everything that Northampton can do. And they've got more to them on top of that. That speaks to Mike Duff just being more imaginative. That speaks to him being able to, to, to put together more than just one fairly rudimentary game plan. And, and I think that, that reflected very well on him and potentially less well on, uh, on Keith Curl. Of course, Cheltenham with a smaller budget as well. So it was de- definitely backing up you going big on uh, on Mike Duff. And I'm glad that a lot of people got to see that Cheltenham side um, who, you know, with two weeks training and whatever it's been, two and a half weeks, performed very well. Let's get into some selections ahead of the championship weekend. That's what we're focusing on the, on this betting show. Definitely want to remind everyone to, to be gamble aware. This is, this is something that comes with risks. We want you to understand the risks behind gambling and, uh, well, begambleaware.org is the place to go if you think you don't understand the risks uh, around gambling. We're going to be going through the championship card and just seeing what stands out. So to start with, I want you to talk me through your best bet of the weekend, the thing that you feel strongest about. Yeah, I, th- I think these are going to be quite brief this week purely because there's not a hell of a lot to be really going on. So you just got to look at the prices and, and kind of, I guess, go with your gut as to what doesn't really feel right for various reasons. And my best bet of the weekend is incredibly boring, but it's it's lead to beat Cardiff at 7-10 <gasps> to 10, What um, at midday on Sunday. I just think that the representative percentage chance of Leeds winning this game is is greater than the 7-10 to 10 suggests. They were in a groove before lockdown where they were not just better than every team they came up against. They were just so much better, better than any scoreline can suggest. They kept five clean sheets in a row. They may they may have only won three of those games 1-0, but those were as dominant 1-0 wins as you're going to see, with basically the opposition only getting one chance to score, if that. Uh, we've spoken on the Monday pod about... You know, I have some concerns that maybe the, the you know the, the rumored intensity of their training over lockdown could in in time be have a negative effect given the intensity of their play. But I think first time back 
is perfect for them. Like this is absolutely ideal. Cardiff are going to have have to be so bang at it to deal with the level of intensity that Bielsa's leads are going to bring here. It just seems like a, a no-brainer. I, I don't buy into any ideas that Leeds are going to bottle it. I'd have to see some evidence on the pitch that would suggest any reason for that to happen in order to 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 get off the the Leeds bus. I, I don't really have anything to say about Cardiff. It, it's not really about them. I was going to um, say one one of one of many questions I have between now and the end of the season to try and work out ahead of the summer and next season is. Are Cardiff good? Are they not good? How good are they? Where, where are they? Where are they uh, in in Championship terms at the moment? Because they're not I far think, off the playoffs. Like no, I think I think Neil Harris has done a good job there, and I think you know certainly with the players they've got, they have every 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 you know um, chance of, of getting themselves closer to the playoffs. I just don't think it's going to start on on Sunday. Yeah, as I say, just given they are going to have to be so at it to to deal with the level of quality and, and intensity that Leeds will bring. And, and I think a 7 to 10, you know, especially when you're, again, I'm not going to look too much into home and away advantage massively, but you have to kind of accept that home advantage probably isn't going to be as big a deal as it usually is. Not that for Leeds it really matters anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that Leeds should be should be shorter than, than you know, the 7 to 10, 4 to 6 they are. So, um, and when it comes to this podcast... You know, I've had probably four bets this weekend. What have I had the most money on? It's Leeds at, 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 at oh, I backed it at four to six. So that means it has to be my nap. There so you go. not particularly exciting, but but yeah, Leeds to win on Sunday. I think it's very exciting. I think I think just football being back and uh, and us talking about championship games and previewing championship games is very exciting. Now, very nice. I, I would say that because my best bet, my nap, is is in a fairly similar vein, and it's West Brom. Uh, to beat Birmingham, although I am getting a little bolder uh, because they're very similar price to Leeds, uh, 7 to 10 when I was researching this. Uh, I'm going to take them minus one um, at 2.8 bet Victor offering that best price. Um, I think baggies against Birmingham will win comfortably. This one's on Sky at 3pm on a Saturday. Obviously no 3pm blackout rules because there's no other football to go and watch in person. So um, that'll be something of a novelty to be able to watch a game uh, on on Saturday 3pm. And there's a few different aspects to this, as always. Um, From a Birmingham side, I do think the last nine games are quite an interesting interesting prospect punting-wise as they always are, but even potentially even more so now because of how weird the last few months have been. It's just trying to work out motivation for clubs, um, trying to get a steer on on which clubs basically are not going to be that motivated because in the conditions, if you're not motivated and you're probably not that match fit, that's for me, is, is, is not a good recipe for success. So given that, Pep Clotet uh, has, always, has already been well it's been announced that he's leaving I was going to say he's announced that he's leaving but it's not a hundred percent clear whose decision it was it's been framed as him looking for other coaching opportunities so it'd be be fascinating to see if he's already got one lined up and where um but you know that that's a sort of tick in the box for their motivation maybe seeming a bit a bit meh they haven't got a manager to to impress ahead of ahead of next season ahead of maybe getting new contracts whatever it may be um they're in a position in the table where they are basically the consensus, I think. That's where the line gets drawn, just below them, as to who could be really... Well, who could still be in with a shout of relegation? They've got a five-point gap. They're 16th. They've got a five-point gap between themselves and Stoke. Um, they've got an eight-point gap between themselves and Charlton in 22nd. And then there's 
five, uh, four other teams in between them. So for them to get relegated, they, they pretty much would have to lose, you'd think, almost every game remaining um, because there are, what, they'd have to, they'd have, six teams would have to get above them, put it that way. So it's not just the points uh, gap, which is big, but also the amount of clubs that would have to, you know, up their game. So I think all that sort of leads to Birmingham probably not being quite as bang at it as other teams, whereas we know West Brom still have plenty to play for. Uh, they've got a nice gap as well to Fulham in third place, another 10 points to Brentford in, in fourth and Forest in fifth. But we will know the result of Fulham-Brentford at this point, and certainly it, it's only an added bonus for me if Fulham win against Brentford because then West Brom will be you know even more focused on on getting the win um oh that is some serious amateur psychology there thank you i've been working on it um i, I love that you just the assumption there that a full and win and therefore it's a benefit for for west brom big time well it works both ways because if brentford win they'll be like oh we're a bit worried about brentford now um but surely surely full and win and suddenly the game has high importance which could mean either Focused. You know, they're as bang at it as you think, or it's completely opposite. No, no. They're, they're, sh- they're shredded by nerves. They're like. a good team. They're a winning football team. So that you know, and they're, they're a team that have had a lot of success. So that it's only going to sharpen the mind for me, George. I'd be more worried if they 15 points clear, um, because then I'd no, be. But that, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that the you know the the statement to say that it would be good news to Fulham win, I, I disagree with. But. I will be keeping a very close ear out for all of your reasoning for your punts from now on. Uh, that's fun. That's fine. Um, <laughs> five subs, I think, is a big bonus for West Brom. Um, you know, it, it cannot hurt a team with that much quality in in attacking areas um, to have an extra option. I mean, they play 4-2-3-1. Um, uh, at totally WBA is someone we follow on tw- on Twitter. Really good West Brom sort of analysis account. Uh, he was talking about predicted eleven for this game, and in front of the defence, obviously you've got Sawyer's and Livermore. Then behind either Austin Robson Carnu or Zahor, whoever that may be, and it doesn't really matter because none of them have been amazing and none of them have been like horrendous either. You you've got three of the following: Matty Pereira. Grady Diangana, Kamil Grosicki, Callum Robinson, Philip Kravinovich, Matt Phillips, and Kyle Edwards. So whoever you go with, you've got, at, well, you, you could have four of them on the bench. You could have three of them coming on. So um, for, for that for that reason as well, I just think they're going to be strong um, uh, in, 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 the la- in the sort of last half an hour of the game. And also just tr- desperately trying not to read too much into small sample size Bundesliga stuff. But... There was an article on Sky Sports the other day pointing out that uh, almost half of the games since the Bundesliga restarted are won by two or more goals, uh, 24 out of 55 games. Uh, and on 14 out of 55, there's been a three-goal margin on the opposing team. So that's a, a bit of an uptick on teams just sort of pulling away, to use a, a horse racing expression, towards the end of games when they're already ahead. So I think uh, West Brom win this comfortably. I am backing them to cover the minus one handicap at 2.8. That's my best bet. Um, I'm really interested to know where you go next, George, which other games have tickled your fancy this weekend. So please talk me through it. I'm going to Ewood Park for Blackburn against Bristol City. And you know, largely this season, I have been pretty pro Blackburn and pretty against Bristol City, but I'm turning it on its head here, purely just looking at the prices. Um, you know, Blackburn and, and near enough, even money favourites. The draw is 12 to 5. Bristol City touching five to two. Uh, again, you know, one of the kind of cliches, I guess, of betting is, is you ask who would be favourite at a neutral venue. And 
you know, by the looks of things, this is getting as close to a neutral venue as you're going to get without genuinely playing at Wembley or playing at, in a uh, in a cup final or, or the like, with home advantage being negated somewhat. And you know, Blackburn were were quite clearly having a, a brilliant season, and especially the second half of the season. But they they were winless in four coming out of the uh, coming to the end of football with their last game being a three 0 loss against Derby. Um, I I'm haven't been a fan of this Bristol City team all season. I have to say, I think they were very, very lucky to be where they were uh, at earlier stages. Um, and there were signs of, of improvement, a one-all draw at home to Fulham earlier in the season. But despite not necessarily being a big fan of, of this Bristol City um, team, I do like Lee Johnson. Um, I think that he is a manager who, when he gets things right, is very good. And for whatever reason, I think he hadn't quite sussed out the attacking side or how to make this, this Bristol City team an attacking threat. And I kind of have some trust in him to to use the, the period well, because we've seen in the past that he has been able to to get his sides to go on good streaks. He got say. that he got that lovely big screen as well. Uh, I don't know if you saw that in his in his training. He's wheeled out. It's kind of like Julian Nagelsmann-esque. He's got this massive <laughs> screen on the side of the training pitch showing them fun little tactics videos ahead of their drills. Um, yeah, I mean, that sounds fantastic. And I, and I, you know, I hope he can reach. But um, but it's, uh, it's yeah, I mean, at five to two, I think they're a bet. But then because we're seeing, you know, fairly cagey games and not many goals, um, it's going to be Bristol City draw no bet. Uh, I'm going to go for here at about seven to five. Uh, I think in terms of just individual quality of players, I think Bristol City probably have an edge. Um, I'm, I'm, as I say, love what Tony Mowbray has done at Blackburn, but I think they're going to be hard pushed uh, to keep up the levels that they were showing for the past couple of months, at least before the, a little slide in performances. So just when you're going, when I was going through the prices for this weekend, the Bristol City price was the one that immediately just stood out I, I agree it's also one of my selections uh, nice. although I haven't gone draw no bet just taking the 3.3 or 3.4 available um, oh, 3.5 3.5 on the drift even better <laughs> even better um, yeah for all the reasons you said um, not not a strong selection but price related so this is more of a more of an interest than a than a than a heavy hitter I don't think there's very much between the two teams. I think they're, uh, you know, very, very similar level. So, uh, and, and I think Bristol City potentially have one or two more match winners or one or two players of, of the highest quality in the game. But that, again, that's pretty marginal as well. Um, Adam Armstrong was in good form pre-lockdown. And, uh, you know, I love Lewis Travis as well. But yes, Bristol City uh, for me, uh, which means I can tell you about Huddersfield at 2.4 being my third selection. Um, again, not monstrously strong. Um, I don't think anything can be that strong first. Unlike first you, week. you are you are that strong. I don't think anything can be that strong first week back. Really trying to really trying to ruin my flow to this this uh, this <laughs> podcast, George, uh, which is not that helpful, especially with a couple of Camden Hells in the system from uh, from last night's playoff. Uh, Alex, it's, it's eleven a.m. Christ. <laughs> no, I mean they're still in the system from last night. That that, that didn't sound good, did it? Uh, <laughs> Um, I, I'm, I could see myself tucking in at the stroke of midday tomorrow, Saturday, unless I get any last minute work. Um, I can see myself tucking in early doors and just really making the most of, of a feast of championship football. Anyway, I'm picking Huddersfield at 2.4. Um, I think they're better than Wigan. I just think they're a better side. Like it is, it is so weird trying to work out 
how things are going to play out. So I tried to basically strip strip games back as much as possible, take out the hundreds of variables that are being discussed for the, for some of these games and just work out which team I think are better with the better players, with the better managers. Uh, and I think Huddersfield fit the bill here for me. Players like Emil Smith-Rowe uh, came in and made an impact. Really looking forward to seeing how he goes. Uh, I think that they'll beat Wigan at uh, at the John Smiths. Is it still called the John Smiths? I think it is. Uh, so Huddersfield at 2.4 to beat Wigan is my, is my last selection before the all-exciting centre-back first goal scorer pick. Uh, George... Any more for any more? Yeah, just one more quick selection, but the price is kind of gone, so <laughs> I'm not as keen as I was when I did my research last night. But Stoke are about six to four. I think that they are the likely winners um, against Reading at Reading, um, but the odds kind of suggest that now. So <laughs> it's it's yeah, it's one of those frustrating ones where the price has gone a bit. But if you if you're looking for something to stick in a in a multi. Um, again, it's just it's just player quality really. Um, from what we saw, you know. I, Despite Michael O'Neill's um, coronavirus, he, he's set to be in the in the dugout for this one. Um, they were really um, playing well before football stopped. And I don't see any reason why he won't continue to get uh, you know to get good performances out of these players. Um, you know, if, if, if we're talking a tactical you know m- matchup between Mark Bowen and Michael O'Neill, I think there's only one winner there. Bonus. And then. Yeah, my bonus, uh, we'll get on to your centre that first goal scorer. But I always like to tip up my no goal scorer. And my no goal scorer tip here, I think it's a massive bet. I think I'm very excited about this. Um, and it is no goal scorer in Hull against Charlton. <laughs> um, you know, we, we mentioned at the top of the show how, you know, I know it didn't finish nil-nil, but how in the in the playoff game, especially the first playoff game last night, there was just a, a quite clear willingness for to not be the team who concedes first and given what's at stake in this Hull Charlton game for both sides the most important thing going into it is not losing it's not winning it's not losing if you come away with the draw everything is all to play for you can still you've got the next eight games to sort it out if you get beat here then trouble you know it's basically not really in your own hands anymore so um and to add to that you've got a Hull side who you know, were gutted in January of their two-star attacking outlets. And, you know, with Madison not playing for them again going forward, they are pretty low on attacking quality. Charlton have lost Lyle Taylor, which you don't need me to tell you is a is a massive, massive blow as well. So they've, you know, neither side have their attacking players at their disposal. I can imagine both sides have done loads of work on set pieces in the last um, six weeks or so to try and maximise their chances of scoring from those opportunities, as I mentioned earlier. Yeah, I think I think this is not going to be one. The only way that this could turn into a goal fest is if someone scores very, very early and then the stakes change and you have to um, throw a bit of caution to the wind. But um, yeah, no goal score at 10-1. to Hard against Charlton's my, my Yatsi bonus. It, it feels like, anecdotally, people are expecting fewer goals in general. George, is that something that you've noticed in terms of pricing uh, over the last few days uh, is are your nil nils your no goal scorers and your sort of under 2.5s or under 1.5s are they shorter than normal well they, they were in the playoffs but that that's to be expected in playoff games anyway um i mean the, the 10 to 1 there suggests not but but i mean goal, goal lines will generally be, be a bit lower but but it, by the looks of things i mean looking at the, at the championship games it all looks fairly standard would you be surprised if i told you that uh, in week whatever this is of, of this season's betting show uh, this is the most excited I've been about any bet <laughs> <laughs> wow 
exciting. Uh, it's a, it's a centre back. It's a first goal scorer. It's a forty to one selection uh, with Skybet, who offer the each each way terms that I love. And just to give you a bit of context, uh, Bet three six five for the same player, also offering um, each way terms are sixteen to one. Skybet forty to one. So um, Bet three six five obviously Ooh. on my side here. It is Jake Cooper of Millwall to score first for Millwall against Derby. Um, I think we both did our research on Thursday night and he was 33 to one then. And I thought that was an absolute steal. I'm pretty sure, and I haven't gone back to check every game. I'm not even sure how you would do that. But given, as you know, I'm always looking for centre-backs to bet on first goal scorer. He's normally like 20, 21, 22 to one. And I couldn't quite work out why he would have drifted to 33 to one. And then I checked this morning and he was 40 to 1. So he's been on the drift this morning. He should never be this price to score first. He's he's the tallest player, well, certainly the tallest outfield player in the league. Um, he is absolutely ginormous. For He plays for a team that take basically any opportunity they can to hoist it into the box. He'll get first contact on at least two set pieces. That's a, that's a prediction. At least two set pieces, whether it's a long throw whether it's a corner, whether it's a free kick, Cooper will get first contact on at least two. And all we need is is for the betting gods to smile upon me and make that first contact accurate and powerful and preferably very early on in the match. He plays for Millwall, who have scored the second most goals in the league from set pieces, according to who scored. They've scored the highest percentage of their goals from set pieces. Playing against Derby, who have conceded the eighth most, not a horrendous record, but they certainly don't have anyone height-wise who can get even close to Cooper. He has the highest XG uh, this season of any centre-back uh, by quite some distance, 4.86. Dunkley uh, has 3.49. Dunkley scored six and Cooper's only scored one. So it might be that he's like terrible at actually heading it in, but... What I can guarantee is that he's going to get on the end of a lot. So for this to be forty to one, I don't know whether I don't know whether there's new traders around and they don't know about Jake Cooper. I don't know if they think it's a different guy, but I'm seriously excited. I think forty to <laughs> one is is more than fair. I think it's a I think it's a massive price, and I'm really excited about it. So hopefully, a little treat for the maximum two people who who were waiting to hear if there'd be a CB. FGS pick. George, anything to add uh, ahead of the, the championship return this weekend? No, nothing. Enjoy the football. It's going to be great. Enjoy the football. Enjoy Mitrovic against Watkins. Um, they are magnificent strikers and that rivalry, that race for the golden boot, although it doesn't really matter ultimately, that's something that I'm really excited about. So that's going to be a, a great way to start. 12.30 tomorrow, Fulham v Brentford. Interesting that neither of us touched that game. Uh, it's a it's a fascinating uh, punting prospect, that one. Thank you for listening, guys. Hopefully you've enjoyed the return of the betting show. Hopefully we weren't too rusty. I've no doubt we'll warm up over the next few weeks. Uh, it's great to be back. Uh, let us know what you fancy. Let us know what you think about what we've said today at NTT20Pod on Twitter. We will be back talking to you again on Monday, looking back at whatever happens this weekend.